This morning, Johnny's going to be bringing us the lesson uh, in our series from the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 4. So if you care to turn in your Bibles, um, I will give the reading this morning. And we're going to read from Mark chapter 4, verse 1 through to verse 34. And he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him. So he got into a boat and sat it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he taught them many things in parables. And in his teaching he said to them, Listen, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on the rocky ground, where it had not much soil, and immediately it sprang up. Since it had no depth of soil, and when the sun rose it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell amongst the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil, and brought forth grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold, and sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. And he said to them, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those who were about him with the twelve asked him concerning the parable. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand lest they should turn against and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word which is sown in them. And these, in like manner, are the ones sown upon the rocky ground, who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. And then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, they immediately fall away. And others are like ones sown amongst the thorns. They are the ones who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the delight in riches and the desire for other things Enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown amongst the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit, thirtyfold, sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. And he said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a bushel or under a bed, and not on a stand? For there is nothing hid except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If any man has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, Take heed what you hear. The measure you give will be the measure you get, and still more will be given to you. For to who him who who has will more be given, and from him who has not, even what he has will be taken." And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed upon the ground 
and should sleep and rise night and day, and the seed should sprout and grow. He knows not how. The earth produces of itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe at once, he pulls in, puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. And he said, with what, with what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown upon the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes the greatest of all shrubs and puts forth large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. Amen. Well, good morning again, and my thanks to Russell for leading us through the service so far. We're going to spend the rest of our time uh, thinking about that little section of one of the eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life, Mark's Gospel. Uh, You might find it helpful to have that open in front of you over the course of the next few minutes. Um, But before we think about that together, let me pray for us. The grass withers, the flower fades but the words of our God will stand forever. Our God and Father, we praise you for your eternal word and pray now that as we study it together, you would please be at work by your Holy Spirit to change each one of us. We ask it in your precious name. Amen. Now, um, for those of you who don't uh, know me quite yet, uh, I am a recovering uh, lawyer. Uh, I uh, used to be a litigation solicitor with a firm in Edinburgh, and uh, before I started training to be a pastor, I remember explaining to someone uh, that I was going to be leaving law uh, to spend my time teaching the Bible and telling people about Jesus. And in response, he said something really interesting. He said this, people are fed up of words. The church needs to move on from that kind of thing because words don't make a difference to anyone. Now, apart from the delicious irony of him using words to try and persuade me of his point, I wonder of what you make of that idea. Perhaps you're absolutely on board with it. Words don't really accomplish anything, do they? And so by being committed to to telling other people the good news of Jesus, words about Jesus, you might think it's no wonder that the church is in decline in Scotland or the UK. Or perhaps you think you probably should disagree with that idea. Maybe you're a Christian and, and, and you know that it's important to tell people about Jesus, but well, your own experience means you can kind of see where he was coming from. Because a lot of people just don't want to know about Jesus, do they? Maybe some people you've spoken to have shown a bit of an interest, but after a while, it's petered out. Or maybe you haven't actually got that far yet. You haven't been open with friends or colleagues about the fact that you're a Christian, because even the thought of talking about Jesus feels so weak. It's cringeworthy. Words look inefficient. They look slow. They look weak. 
Well, this morning we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 4, and as we do that, well, you might be in for a bit of a surprise, because in Mark 4, Jesus actually agrees with that critique of words. He uses three different parables or, or kind of extended illustrations in Mark 4. And what we see in each of them is that speaking the good news about Jesus looks inefficient, verses 1 to 20. It looks slow, verses 26 to 29. And it looks weak, verses 30 to 32. Now, isn't that a bit of a surprise? It's a surprise even in the context of what we've seen so far in Mark's account. We saw together a few weeks ago that in chapter 1, Jesus burst onto the scene, not firstly as a healer or as a miracle worker, but as a preacher. Last Sunday morning, chapter 3, he appointed 12 of his closest followers to what? To preach, to tell people about him. Words were Jesus' MO, his, his way of doing things. So why on earth is he having a go at words, it's like the turkeys voting for Christmas, isn't it? Well, Jesus does say that telling people about him looks inefficient, looks slow, looks weak. But, says Jesus, that's no reason to pack it in. Because that is exactly what it's meant to look like. More than that... Jesus says that even in that apparent weakness, God's words are how God grows God's kingdom and grows it abundantly. Let me say that again. Even in that apparent weakness, God's words are how God grows God's kingdom and grows it abundantly. That's where we're heading this morning. But before we get there, it's worth spending a few minutes getting our head around Jesus' critique of words. Next slide, please, Jonathan. Thank you. Um, Our first point this morning uh, is that God's words might look uneconomical. This is verses 1 to 20. Now, as I mentioned a moment ago, by this point in Mark's account, Jesus has already established his credentials as a speaker, as a preacher. Mark told us how he started his public work, chapter 1, verse 14. After John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, says Mark, proclaiming, preaching the gospel or the good news of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So the message or the words that Jesus has been speaking is one of repentance and belief in good news. Repentance means turning away from, changing our mind. And by gospel, he's talking about good news. Good news of a God who forgives people for the rebellion against him, who doesn't treat people as we deserve, but is gracious and is kind. And in chapter 4, Jesus explains that speaking that same word, that word of repentance and belief, will have different results. So in verses 3 to 9, he uses this parable, this illustration about a sower sowing seed, which he then explains in verses 13 to 20. So in verse 15, when the word, the good news of Jesus, is explained to some people, it lands on rocky ground and it's snatched away. Verses 16 and 17, others hear the message and it initially looks like they're accepting it. But because there's no root, when they establish some kind of difficulty, some kind of opposition or negative reaction, they quickly fall away. 
And in verses 18 and 19, there are people who are interested, who respond positively to the message of Jesus. But over time, that response is drowned out by other things. And so the word is choked. It isn't fruitful in their lives. And it's only when we get to verse 20 that some people hear the message and it takes deep root. Three unfruitful reactions, one fruitful one. That's a pretty poor return, isn't it? Pretty inefficient, a bit wasteful of the seed, isn't it? And yet what Jesus is describing may well sound very familiar to you if you've been a Christian for any length of time. Maybe because you've tried telling people about Jesus and they just don't seem to engage at all. Not necessarily because they're hostile to that news or to you, just aren't that interested. And it feels like what you've told them has gone in one ear and has gone straight out the other. Jesus says that could well be the devil himself at work. Might not look like that, but he says it could be. The personal actor of evil in the world, plucking away words before they can even take root. Maybe you've told someone about Jesus and they looked quite keen to begin with, but things kind of petered out over time. Maybe because they started to to, to realize some of the implications of becoming a Christian, that it will be costly, that it will bring opposition. Or perhaps just because they prefer to spend their, their time and their lives pursuing other things. Relationships or jobs or pension funds seem more important than listening to Jesus. Telling people the good news of Jesus looks inefficient, wasteful even. And all of that sounds a bit pessimistic, doesn't it? True to our experience, perhaps, but pessimistic. And and yet, the picture doesn't look much more upbeat in one sense as you read through the rest of chapter 4. Just look on with me to verse 26. It's the second parable in Mark 4. And again, the picture Jesus uses is of sowing seed. The seed does sprout this time, which is a bit more positive. But notice verse 27, that process isn't immediate. The one who sows the seed sleeps and rises night and day. The point being, it just takes time. And even when it does happen, verse 27, the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The sower himself doesn't really seem to have all that much to do with the seed growing, apart from planting it. And again, that's true to life, isn't it? When I was an undergraduate student here in Aberdeen quite a few years ago, I was involved in running a course called Christianity Explored each term. And some of the same folks repeated that course two or three times. And I can remember having absolutely no idea whether anything of what we were thinking about together was resonating in the slightest, or whether they were coming along because there was a free dinner and a chance for a bit of a chat. You may well have experienced something similar. You often have no idea whether telling someone about Jesus has made the slightest bit of difference. And then on to the last of the parables in chapter 4 from verse 30. Again, we have another seed. This time, verse 31, it's a mustard seed. Now, you might have seen a mustard seed before. They're absolutely tiny, smaller than the head of a pin. Why does Jesus tell us about a mustard seed? Well, he's still on that same topic of of words. It's the same seed picture throughout all of these parables, notice. And this time, the point he's making is that just like the mustard seed, the message about Jesus looks tiny, unimpressive, weak even. Now, most of us don't have any real issues trying to persuade a colleague or a neighbor or a friend that, that something we quite enjoy is great, 
and it's worth looking into for themselves. We do it all the time, actually. We'll happily blether on about how great the film was that we saw last night, or, or about our favourite restaurant, or our favourite music. And yet, when it comes to telling someone about how great Jesus is, whom, if you're a Christian, is the most important person in your life, well, it can feel terrifying, can't it? Now, why is that? Well, it might well be because it's more personal to share that kind of thing, that we feel more, more vulnerable talking about our faith than talking about our favorite film. But it might just be because the message itself feels weak. It feels small. It might even feel foolish. In Mark 4, Jesus uses three illustrations to make a similar point. Telling people about him looks uneconomical, uncontrollable, and unimpressive. Now, how's that for a pep talk? Not going to win any awards for a motivational speech, is it? But it is worth asking, why does Jesus paint that picture of words? Well, I think it's a little bit like my approach towards cooking. I'm a pretty useless cook. Take note, if you're ever invited round to our house for dinner, you would do very well to ask who's cooking before you either accept or decline the invitation. And it's sometimes even following a recipe isn't enough to keep me on the straight and narrow. I once invited some friends round for dinner and I made them what was meant to be a Thai green curry. Recipe told me to add a certain volume of water to the pot, so I did that. But to my completely untrained eye, it still looked a bit dry. So I thought I'd exercise my, um, frankly, non-existent culinary judgment and I'd try adding some more water and it quickly became apparent that was a bad idea. It turns out it's easier to add water than it is to take it away. Who knew? And uh, so instead of curry, we ended up having Thai green soup instead. See, what I really need when I'm cooking is a picture of what it's meant to look like, of what I'm aiming for. That helps me not to panic and to change the recipe when things start to look like they're falling apart. And I think Jesus is doing something similar to that in Mark chapter 4. How will we naturally respond when we get knockbacks from people we tell about Jesus? What will we do when progress is slow? Or when the message we're bringing to people feels weak and unimpressive? Well, we may well try the spiritual equivalent of adding more water to the pot. Perhaps change the message a little bit. Maybe stop speaking altogether. Jesus explicitly says that telling people about him will look uneconomical, uncontrollable, and unimpressive. And he wants us to know that's what it's meant to be like. Why? Well, so we don't go tinkering with the recipe. Don't stop telling people about me just because some people reject it. Don't change the message about me just because it might feel weak. Because, says Jesus, that's exactly what it's meant to look like. But there is a second reason Mark would have us prioritize telling people about Jesus, even when some of the results seem to be discouraging. See, for anyone involved in farming or even in gardening, the, the, the kind of wastage and the slowness and the, the unimpressiveness that Jesus describes aren't actually all that surprising. That's just how things work when you try growing stuff. They're slow and they're inefficient. But I wonder if you notice that I've skipped over a little bit of each one of the parables so far. Just look with me, for example, at verse 20. Those seeds that were sown on the good soil 
are the ones who hear the words and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. There will be a harvest, says Jesus. People who do come to know him when we tell them about him. And notice it's a miracle harvest, 30, 60, 100 times what was sown. Then look on to verse 26. And Jesus said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day. The seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how the earth produces by itself. The first, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Speaking about Jesus seems really slow and the results seem really uncertain. But verse 26, that's how the kingdom of God grows. And even though it's slow, verse 29, it will result in a harvest. Then lastly, on to verse 31. It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on the earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. Just like the mustard seed, telling people about Jesus looks tiny, weak, and yet it grows into something huge. So why prioritize telling people about Jesus, even if it looks ineffective? Well, in each of the parables, Jesus makes the same point. The message about him, as weak as it looks, is the means by which he grows his kingdom and grows it abundantly. Now let's just take a step back for a moment. And let me ask you what part of Mark chapter 4 you need to be convinced of. Think for a moment about your fumbling effort to speak about Jesus to your neighbor over the fence from you. Or your hurried and unclear explanation of your faith to someone in your office. Your repeated attempts to explain to your flatmate or your family member why you would bother giving your time coming to church each Sunday morning. See, I don't need convincing that my attempts to tell people about Jesus are weak and unimpressive. I've got lots and lots of evidence of that. What I need convincing of is that my fumbling efforts to explain the good news of Jesus are how God, the God who created the universe and everything in it, will build his kingdom. Don't you? And I need even more convincing that it will result in an abundant harvest. We might not always see it, but Jesus says that it will. And actually, whilst our own experience might make all of that hard to believe, well, when you look at Jesus' own life and ministry, that's exactly what it looked like. He preached a message of repentance and belief. And what impact did that have? Well, it left him with a small clutch of followers Most of him abandoned him when he was arrested and crucified. Doesn't exactly look like life or world-changing stuff, does it? And yet, depending on how you measure these things, that small handful of followers, the band he sent out to tell people about him in Mark's gospel, is now somewhere over a billion people. How's that for an abundant harvest? See, repentance and belief for the forgiveness of sins has always been an unimpressive message. A message that lots of people have rejected. 
And yet it is how God grows his kingdom. Now, what are we meant to do with all of that? Well, there are a couple of main applications to us, I think, and we'll spend the rest of our time on those briefly. Firstly, speak up. And what Jesus describes in Mark 4 reflects his own ministry, his own preaching. And yet in Mark 4, he isn't just describing what was going to happen in his own life. He was also preparing his followers for what would happen when they did the same thing as him, as they spoke up too. Just again, have a look at verses 21 and 22 with me. Jesus said to them, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. The point he's making, I think, is that you have a message to tell people. Don't hide it under a basket. Don't stick it under the bed. Put it on a stand, says Jesus. Get it out there. Tell people about him. Now, what will that look like? Well, it might well look a bit different for each one of us, depending on what each day of the week looks like. But it is worth having a think about a couple of concrete examples that might resonate with at least some of us. So tomorrow morning, in your office, or GP surgery, or the staff room, or the golf course, or the seminar classroom, wherever you find yourself tomorrow morning, there is a high likelihood that someone is going to ask you what you got up to at the weekend. Everyone seems compelled to ask that same question on a Monday morning. It's like a nervous tick. And and when they do, we might well be tempted to give a pretty detailed description of what we got up to on Saturday. And then a suspiciously vague response about having a quieter day on Sunday. Does that sound familiar to anyone? Just me? Okay, leave me hanging. That's okay. Well, what if instead of a vague explanation of what you did on Sunday... You said something like this. Yesterday I went to church, and I do that most weeks, actually, because I'm a Christian, and I follow Jesus. I'd love to tell you a bit about him sometime. I'm sorry I've never done that before, but I'd love to speak to you about him. Or better still, we're running a course about him at our church in the new year, if you fancy coming along with me to that. Now, the point of Mark 4 is that we can't do anything about how people will respond to that. The sower who sows the seed goes to bed and the seed still grows he doesn't know how it grows but it grows and so you or i cannot make anyone believe the message of jesus no matter how persuasive you are how persistent you are no matter how well you engage with the culture in which they live you just can't do it but the point is you're not meant to that is god's job by his holy spirit being at work in people's lives He is the one who makes the seed grow. It's a supernatural thing. And see, the point of Mark 4 is not to let people's responses put you off of opening your mouth in the first place. So that's the first application. Speak up. But there is another application which we'll finish with this morning. And you get a sense of that from something Jesus repeats throughout chapter 4. Just look at how he begins verse 3. One word, listen. Then look on to verse 9. He who has ears to hear, let them hear. On to verse 24. Pay attention to what you hear. Can you see the point Jesus is making? Or maybe to be more accurate, can you hear the point Jesus is making? Listen up. 
Now, if you're here this morning and you wouldn't describe yourself as a Christian, I am conscious that all of this talk of sowing seed and bringing in a harvest might sound a bit unnerving to you. You might have spent the morning kind of scanning the room for emergency exits. Can I firstly say that we are delighted to have you with us this morning? It really is great to have you. And, uh, and at the very least, I hope you've been able to see that what I've been talking about isn't, isn't my bright idea. This isn't Hebron's strategy that we've dreamt up like some kind of recruitment drive. It's Jesus who says all of this. And the issue that I think this text would ask you to consider this morning is that you do not consider or you do not hear the good news of Jesus in a vacuum. We like to think that we're objective when we come to making decisions about things, don't we? That we make decisions based on facts and facts alone. But that is very, very rarely the case. And Jesus exposes that kind of thinking in this parable, doesn't he? That becoming a Christian might make life harder for you. Might bring opposition from friends and family. Might interfere with your interest in money and in stuff. And you might never have thought about it before, but those may well be reasons that you've dismissed Jesus. Well, can I just say that Jesus is not out to steal from you. He's not out to steal your fun or your fulfillment in life. It is exactly the opposite. He came to welcome you into abundant, eternal life. And in fact, he was so committed to making that possible that he died a criminal's death on a cross to make it so. So can I please ask you not to brush Jesus off. Listen to him. Find out who it is you'd be brushing off. I've said this pretty much every week since we started this series, and I think it does bear repeating. Try reading the rest of Mark's account for yourself. Speak to me after the service if you'd like someone to read through it with you, or or plenty of other folks here who would be delighted to read through Mark's account of Jesus' life with you. But maybe you're a bit further down the track than that, and you've been thinking about Jesus for quite some time. Well, can I encourage you this morning to accept the word that you've heard, that word of repentance and of belief. How do you do that? Well, you pray to him. You can do it in the quiet of your own heart this morning. Ask him for his forgiveness, acknowledging your rejection of him. And trust that because of his death on the cross and that resurrection from the dead, he is able to forgive your rejection and to welcome you into abundant, eternal life. I hope and pray very much that someone here might do that. Let's pray together now. Our God and Father, we thank you and we praise you for the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. That he lived a perfect life. That he died a criminal's death. That he rose again three days later. And that in doing so, he rescued us from being cut off from you as we so deserve. And instead made a way for us to be forgiven and adopted into your family. We ask this morning that you would please impress upon each one of us here how wonderful that good news really is. Whether for the first time or the umpteenth. And that for those of us who have trusted in you. 
please would you help us to go and tell other people of that good news? Even when it feels inefficient or slow or weak. Convince us in our hearts that your word is how you grow your kingdom and promise to do so abundantly. And so we ask that you please help us to grasp that and to go forth and tell. We ask all of this for our joy and for your glory. And we do so in Jesus' name. Amen.